Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. All right, good morning. I'm so happy to be with you. Has anybody ever asked to be moved from under a tent because it might fall on you during a church service? Is this, a, this is a first-time experience. We are a unique bunch, that is for sure. <laughs> okay, well, good morning. I'm, I'm so happy to be together today. Uh, we, we are going to be in Mark 4, if you want to turn there. And, you know, if you are taking notes, the first thing I want to say this morning is the devil is not a racist (laughs) because the devil hates humanity equally. There is not one race that he hates above another race. There is nothing unique about the devil. He has no identity and he has one motive prowling around the earth like a roaring lion with one motive, to kill, steal, and destroy the people of God. And, you know, the father sent his son to come in embodied love. God is love. And there is nothing general about love. Love is unique and personal and attuned. And, uh, you know, Jesus does not redeem anything the devil stole casually. He likes to make a show of redemption. He likes to make an eternally big deal of redemption. It, it isn't a mild redemption. It isn't a casual redemption that right now the stage is being set for an extravagant redemption because Jesus didn't come just to give us life and steal back the keys from the devil. He came to give us life and to give it to us abundantly. And that word abundantly It means ridiculously. It means extravagantly. It means it's so overwhelming. I can't take it all in myself, and it's got to gush out of me like an overflowing river. And so, you know, when, when fear in any season of our life is introduced, the enemy's strategy with fear is to manifest hatred on the earth. That's his only motive. He wants you to hate your brother, to hate your sister. Because when we hate, we are manifesting the agenda of the enemy. And, and you know, this is the one thing that manifests the kingdom. By our love, they will know who he is. By our love. And so when we fear We have an opportunity to run to perfect love. Every experience of fear is is not an invitation to run to shame, 
to run to guilt, but to run to a God who is perfect love. Because, you know, when we run to love, what gushes out of us is love. But when we run to take care of our fear on our own, what gushes out of us is judgment and hate. We, we have not been wired to carry fear. We've been wired to let a God of love overwhelm it. And so, uh, you know, we are in an hour of extraordinary opportunity to manifest love on the earth. And these are the hours in history that the people of God come most alive. These are the hours of history where Jesus comes to set a table of abundant life through the sound of love inside of his people. And, you know, Jesus never orchestrates storms of destruction, ever. The enemy orchestrates storms of destruction. And it is our opportunity to be aware of it, recognize it, and see the storms as our, as our assignment on the earth. So we're going to look at Mark 4, where the people of God were literally navigating a storm. And we're going to start in verse 35. And it says, later that day, after it grew dark, Jesus is not afraid of the dark. <laughs> Jesus is not afraid to go somewhere with us in our boat in the dark. Has anybody ever been afraid of the dark? I was afraid of the dark as a kid. Jesus is not afraid of the dark. Nothing about the dark makes Jesus tremble. So later that day, after it grew dark, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. I just, I, my heart always pauses when Jesus says stuff. Does anybody else have a pause in your heart? Like, these are the words of our Messiah. You know, I, I never leave the Gospels. I don't, I don't remember the last time I, I left the Gospels. It's been years of, of staying in the Gospels. I, I read other stuff, but I can't help myself from returning to the stories of Jesus. Tell me again, what did he say? Tell me, tell me that story again. How did he respond? What did he feel like? Let me imagine myself again in the story. Let me cherish every word he spoke as if he spoke it to me directly. And this is what he said. Hey, we're going to cross over to the other side of the lake. And, you know, uh, the crowd got sent away, and it says that they, they just all started heading to the other side of the lake. And, you know, we, we are followers of Jesus. We are disciples of Jesus. And everybody is craving a Lord like Jesus. Everybody is craving to go where he is going. And, you know, we don't see the, the disciples getting out a flow chart and challenging Jesus. Is this the best use of our time to head to the other side of the lake? When we decide to make Jesus the Lord of our life, we are laying down our opinion about where Jesus says it's, we're going to go and when we're going to go.
to go where you are going. And the disciples left everything with this one goal. I just want to be where Jesus is. They were literally 12 men following Jesus around wherever he went. They, they are, are examples of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That they weren't there to give Jesus good ideas on the best way to accomplish his mission as the Messiah. They were there to be led by him, to follow him. And, you know, the greatest mark of a follower of Jesus is surrender. I surrender to your ways that are above my ways. So they were, they were heading to the other side of the lake, and it says in verse 37, suddenly, as they were crossing the lake, a ferocious tempest arose with violent winds and waves that were crashing into the boat until it was all but swamped. But Jesus was calmly sleeping in the stern, resting on a cushion. So they shook him awake and said, teacher, don't you even care that we are all about to die? And you know, these are fishermen who are well acquainted master sailors. They're master sailors. They're not afraid of water. They live their life on the water. And this storm was so ferocious that the boat was filling with water and they were terrified. So this fear wasn't a fantasy. Have you ever had a fear that's a fantasy? Like suddenly within 35 seconds, everyone you know and love was brutally murdered, kidnapped and killed and you're at the funeral saying your goodbyes. Okay, that's not actually rooted in reality. It's a spirit of fear, but there's, there's no evidence in your life backing up that fear, right? When you're a fisherman and your boat is literally being immersed in water and you feel it rising up your body, that's called reality-based fear. It doesn't mean it's a different spirit motivating your choice to fear. It just means it's not an illusion. This is real. What is happening in our nation right now is real. What is, what is happening in uh, COVID-19, that's real. The, the pain of, of racism, hey, that's real. That the storm we are navigating is not an illusion we're making up. And, you know, reality-based fear needs a reality-based God. <laughs> and you know what Jesus decided to do for humanity is he decided to climb into your boat. He didn't say, go to the other side from heaven and I'll meet you over there when things are nice and fluffy. He didn't send us a podcast about how to navigate storms when the water is about to take you completely under. He, he put on human flesh and he said, I'll get in your boat. I'll, I'll ride this out with you. I'll be the God of presence. And, you know, we have to decide 
if we are going to be the people on the earth that internalize the storm and I become one with the storm, or am I going to internalize the nature of Jesus that is inside my boat? Because the tone of Jesus was not the same as the tone of the storm. And, you know, it doesn't mean he was careless. It doesn't mean he was unaware. He was in the boat. And, you know, their, their response to his sleeping was, teacher, do you care? We are all about to die. And you are thinking it is a good time to take a nap. <laughs> and, you know, any of you felt the reality of the storm we are in? It's not just one. It's like the storms have storms, you know? And, and we have to take note of, of is the tone of my voice turning in to the tone of the storm or is the tone of my voice turning in to the calm of the Messiah? And, you know, I've been uh, working diligently on this word I learned about over this last year. It's called self-differentiation, which means I can be aware of the reality around me. I could be aware of your reality. I could be aware of America's reality. I can be aware of all of the circumstance around me, and I can choose to not internalize it. I can choose to not become one with the chaos. That we, we cannot arise and shine in our authority if we sound just like the storm. We actually have to self-differentiate and realize, I'm in this boat, this is happening, but it does not have to be the reality within me. And when we start to feel the swir swirlies, you know, this is what happens when you wake up at 2 a.m. and you're fighting an imaginary argument. Has anybody done that? It's 2 a.m. There is no one but your sleeping gorgeous husband next to you. And you are having an argument. You're sweating. Your stomach's tight. And you said all the things you wish you would have said to no one. There's no one there. <laughs> and that means you internalized a storm and you made the tone of that storm your reality. And this is just good practice being humans. <laughs> we all know what this feels like because we're all in training for glory. We're all in training to live like Jesus. And he is our supreme example of self-differentiation. He was in the boat without internalizing the disciples' fear, without internalizing the fear the storm was trying to stir up. He was at peace in a different reality. And, you know, when we start telling Jesus, you do not care, when we start telling the people of God, because we don't think they're responding in the way that they should be responding, you do not care. That is our invitation into deeper levels of self-differentiation. Because your care is not going to manifest 
confess. And nine times out of ten, I'm learning something new about the care of Jesus and how the Messiah cares for a hurting world. And, um, you know, this is so practical for the moment that we're living in because we have a mandate to not react but to respond. And we cannot respond if we're reacting from the chaos that we've internalized. Jesus was able to rise up in authority and say, hush, be still, because he was not internalizing that storm. And so, you know, a good litmus test in in this moment of history is taking note when there's conversation coming up, what happens on the inside of you? Can you maintain a place of calm when people think differently than you? Can we maintain a, a place of calm? It, it, you know, Jesus, Jesus was the most attacked man in his motives, and he was the purest person on the planet. And, you know, even when we see Jesus turning over tables and uh, being firm with the Pharisees and using strong language, everything he did was a response, not a reaction. Everything he did was showing us this is what love looks like. That the very people he boldly corrected was the very people he would lay down his life and call friends for. That when, when he turned over the tables, he was embodied love, responding to an enemy, not hating people. He actually took time to make a whip. So that, that tells us right there, it wasn't an impulsive, angry reaction. It was a thought out, I'm going to take my time to do this right. I'm going to make a point that 2,000 years later, they'll still be learning from. And it's going to be motivated by love. And so when we get squeezed by the storm, you know, our job is not to work hard to keep a motive of love. Our job is to remain in the person of love. Purifying our motives ourselves did not work. <laughs> every time I check it out, there's bad news in there. There is bad news in there every time I check it out. Our motive was so bad and so twisted. He said, I have to come myself and take care of this for eternity. So when you discover, oh, I have a bad guy. I've, I have demonized a human being that Jesus laid down his life and called a friend. That is our invitation not to work it out ourselves, but to step into the person of love and say, let the tone of my voice match yours. Let the tone of my heart match yours. So when you hear, when you hear talk about statistics and COVID-19, Take your temperature. Where am I at? Am I freaking out on the top of the ship? Am I memorizing the storm and 
internalizing the storm? Or am I memorizing the face of Jesus? Am I memorizing the rest of Jesus? When, when I hear about systemic racism and the reality of experiences our black brothers and sisters are having in our nation, what's, what starts to happen inside of me? Can I be at rest in the nature of Jesus, in the sufficiency of Jesus? Or do I start internalizing, internalizing a storm without hope? What are the words that trigger you? You need to take them to the stern of the ship. Because what fear wants us to do is take care of it on our own. And when we try to take care of it on our own, we do stupid stuff that does not bear eternal fruit. We, you know, the greatest gift a storm can give us is in our, our awareness that we need a God bigger than this storm. We need a God bigger than me. We need a God more than the chaos. We need a God that's bigger than all the wounds. That is the greatest gift a storm can give us. And those disciples marched to the bottom of that cabin. And what I like to do when I feel caught up in the swirlies is I like to imagine. I like to ask questions. I don't like to wake him up super quick. I like to wonder, you are so different than me. And I like to look at him and the absolute peace on his face. The Bible says he was sleeping deeply. And I just, I like to imagine myself climbing in to that cushion with him. And I like to breathe in the Prince of Peace. And I just think, Jesus, let me feel like you feel. Let, let, let me internalize your reality that you are not worried. And, you know, the disciples woke up a teacher. They said, teacher! And their voice tone was way up here. And his was like yawning. And he gets up in perfect authority and says, hush, calm down. <laughs> and in a moment, the storm took a nap. And the calm inside of him, in one word, put demonic influence asleep. And, you know, he looked at the disciples and said, why are you so afraid? Have you not learned to trust yet? And, and the men were in awe. And they said, who is this that even the storm obeys him? And they were undone with the person that they had been following around, watching raise dead children to life, turning thousands of, of uh, people that were hungry looking for food with full bellies out of just tiny loaves and fishes. And in this moment, they had an invitation 
teacher sleeping in their boat. So what we need to realize is we don't need to become people who get a PhD in storms in this hour of history, knowing the evil that caused it, all those type of things. What we need to become is people that went into the storm with one revelation of Jesus and were coming out of the storm with a very different revelation of Jesus. Because a teacher is not the answer in this hour of history. Knowing the right things that Jesus said and taught is not the answer. The actual manifested presence of the living God is the answer. It's a peace that is beyond understanding. It's a peace that goes further and deeper than anything possible in our own human capacity. And the fight of our life in this storm is to keep our awareness of who is in the boat as the main thing we're cherishing. That, you know, fear wants to get us to believe. I'm all alone. I've got to take care of this myself. The pressure is on me. No. He sent his presence. He sent the, the living God is walking with us and talking with us. And he is looking to us to rise up in our authority and speak to this storm. And speak, say, hush, be still. The Messiah is here. The Redeemer is here. And, you know, Jesus could have taken care of every ounce of brokenness all on his own. And he chose to, to give the world healing through the body of Christ, through people who would co-labor as sons and daughters of the living God. And, you know, I'll just end with this. When Ezekiel, the Lord grabbed Ezekiel by the hand and said, Hey, Zeke, do you think all these bones could live again? <laughs> How many of you know? The answer is no. No, they can't. They've been dead for so long, they don't even have skin anymore. You can't make out a face. You can't make out a person. This isn't like Lazarus is three days dead and you could still kind of recognize it's him. It's like this is a battle that was lost generations ago. And he looks at Ezekiel and says, do you think they can live? Do you think this can be redeemed in the natural Within our own capabilities, Ezekiel knew, no, God, and you're dumb if you think they can. But he was wise and said nothing. And then, you know what the father did? He started telling Ezekiel what to say. He wanted the sound of Ezekiel's authority beside him. He wanted the sound of a son saying what he was saying on the earth. And he would say, Ezekiel, tell the flesh to grow back on those bones. And Ezekiel would say, flesh, grow back on those bones. Now, now tell the breath to come back in that body. 
Jesus would do. He would walk the earth calling every dead thing back to life. I'm not afraid of seeing the destruction. I'm not afraid of seeing this pile that the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. Because the Messiah was saying, I am resurrection and I am life. And he passed the baton to us and said, only say what your father is saying. Only go where your father is going. And in this hour of history, we're going to the other side. We're going to stand up and say, hush, enough. The calm inside of me is bringing a calm to my assignment. And my assignment is every evil injustice storm that is swirling on our earth. So let's just go ahead and stand up. And we just thank you this morning, Jesus, that the same spirit that resurrected you from the grave is living and breathing inside of our bodies in this moment, in this time. And so we, we just say we're going to fill up all of our space in the learning what it feels like and what it looks like to live inside the answer of your presence. And that when we see something hopeless, we don't cower in fear. We come alive. We're the people of hope. When we're invited into the dark center of the sea, we don't hesitate. We don't get distracted. We say we will follow you anywhere because you are resurrection and life. And you put every demonic influence under your feet for the rest of time. So we offer up our authority. We offer up our agreement. And we say, Jesus, make us like you. Make us like you. That on the other side of this storm, we wouldn't just know more things. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have any other goal. But I learned about Jesus. I became more like Jesus. I became more centered on the presence as my only option. As the presence as my only solution. So we step into you this morning, Jesus. And we, we yield all of our authority to say what you're saying in the tone of voice that you're saying it. And we say to every evil agenda, hush, be still in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.